you're in the stirrups getting your your torn vagina sewed back together and i was eating chips she was like oh you're prepared i was like yeah i came with snack what up y'all i felt like i needed to change it up for me and like hey guys <laughs> what up y'all that is you like that okay that is so different for you Did i Corey? sound cool you sounded like a cool mom with a third I'm like the mom life. who yells, high five. Remember when I did that when we were. <laughs> I'm not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. <laughs> You're the cool mom with the Daisy Duck shirt on. I That's love right. That. I am hardcore adulting today in my Daisy Duck shirt, but my two-year-old is going to appreciate it. <laughs> I pulled a muscle in my neck and I still can't. I can't turn my head more than that. Oh, no. And well, you look really that. cute. Your hair looks real good. I haven't washed my hair since last Sunday. <laughs> and then Kayla's got the Bondi wave going on over there. This is called air dry. Y'all, I put some truly in my Yeti. <laughs> Fantastic. We have been teasing this episode forever. Yeah, we like, have for a few weeks now. And if you guys listen to us consistently, you know that we never claim to be experts. And we typically don't have an expert on. But guys, we have a real life doctor on today. My hormones are giving me such hardcore anxiety. And I laid awake in bed last week thinking about things that could go wrong during this C-section that I know is looming. And I think a big thing for women, whether or not they've had kids yet or whether they're pregnant or they're on their third or fourth kid, getting this giant baby from the inside to the outside is a terrifying prospect. All three of us have had some issues during labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to call in a friend who is an anesthesiologist who is going to answer a bunch of common questions about all the drugs during labor yeah. and delivery. And then also to kind of tell us what we should worry about and what we shouldn't worry about. We are wives, entrepreneurs, entertainers, executives. And at the end of the day, we are all moms. All at the same time and never in the same order. <laughs> this is Hi, My Name is Mom, a podcast about motherhood. Here are your hosts, Jen, Corey, and Kayla. So we have Allison Overman. Hi, Allison. Hi, thank you for having me. The crazy thing is I've known Allison for a billion years. She, she just did the calculations and it's like 22 or 23 years. She's an active duty military anesthesiologist. Not to mention, I won't even get into the crazy training she just did for military <laughs> purposes where she's literally like doing ICU procedures on a Blackhawk, like in the dark. What? <laughs> she takes being a working mother to a whole other level. Well, I'll take all those compliments because my kids humble me every day. I, I feel pretty regular when I come home and my toddler, you know, just kind of grabs a hold of me and my five-year-old throws a tantrum and my nine-year-old can't be found. He's on a Kindle. So I appreciate all that. <laughs> At least it's a Kindle and not a PlayStation. Hey, well, I'm sure that's next. <laughs> <laughs> My mom fashion is that um, I've had three children. The first child I had, I was a medical student. I was a second year med student. So I went in to have my first child and I didn't really know what to expect. I had written out a really long birth plan. I did get an epidural um, and it worked okay. It wasn't great. I got all the way to the time where um, they said, okay, you're 10 centimeters and you need to push. And something happened to the epidural at that, like right up at that moment. And I had severe pain. Basically the epidural was not functional. And I looked at my nurse and my OB and my husband. And I said, I'm not pushing this baby out till I have an epidural that's working. 
period. And they were like, what? <laughs> My OB was like, I don't really know what to do with you. And I was like, I would call someone. And while they were sewing me up, I had torn in several places. I could actually feel the like pricks of the suture. And I looked at the OB and I said, Ugh, I can feel that. I don't think things are working again. And he was like, mm, I'm almost done. And I was like, this is not okay. <laughs> so I don't know if I was, what would you consider a difficult patient? But I definitely did not have a straightforward first birth and not a straightforward first epidural either. I yeah. can relate to your story so much. I wanted an epidural and mine worn off by the time I had to push. And I pushed for two hours and I could feel the sutures. And I was, it, it, it was what it was, but I felt everything. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. You, I, I, I always heard that you have to be able to feel to push. Is that not true? It is true. So, and now looking back, I'm not exactly sure what was going on with my epidural because the way it should work is your anesthesiologist um, will put your epidural in, they leave a catheter in place, thread the catheter, tape everything in, and then they dose the epidural. Um, and then they start an infusion. So it's very confusing to me when I look back, I'm like, why did my epidural wear off? I should have had an infusion going that provided adequate levels of like anesthesia. Continuously. Continuously, exactly. So I'm not really sure what happened with mine. Most anesthesiologists try to put a concentration of medicine in the epidural that allows you to really still feel um, when those contractions are occurring. It takes away that searing, tearing pain, but it leaves that sensation of dull pressure that you really mainly feel kind of in the base of your bottom. And then when the contraction occurs, you can really push with that, that, with that kind of sensation. And as the baby gets closer to being born, you're going to feel more more and more of that pressure sensation. And a lot of women complain that it's a pain sensation because that's really the only way to describe it. But it's not necessarily pain. It's this uh, very uncomfortable pressure. And I always tell women, you know, we can't really take that away. You honestly don't want us to because then you don't know how to push. Just push your way through that. Um, but th that's the idea of uh, what what it should be. That's why neither, you know, neither one of us should have felt the sutures. So, I'm, you know, I don't have a perfect explanation, but most women will have continuous me medicine going through that allows that to be covered. So ultimately, you were the worst patient ever, but you also might have had the worst anesthesiologist ever. I'm not sure what happened. Yes, that is very true. But I was very pigheaded about it because, um, I mean, it, it was, I applaud women who do this without epidurals, but I was like, absolutely not. This is excruciating. The good thing is I relate to women when I come in and place epidurals and they're in agony. I'm like, I know what you're feeling. Let me talk you through this. We're going to get you comfortable. It's going to be okay. So. See, that's where my male OB when he tells me how things are going to feel, I'm always sort of like, and exactly how do you know that? No. I mean, <laughs> no, it's true. It's like male OBs. They're the only version of any kind of medical doctor that can practice textbook only. Like the yeah. only, everybody else has all the parts they're treating. If you think about it, it's like male yeah. OBs and male gynecologists. It's like, they just read and experience with their patients, but they can't tell you from that personal place, you know? I guess if there were yeah. female ED doctors. Yeah, I mean, erectile dysfunction. It's funny. One of my colleagues is an anesthesiologist, and um, he is married to a female urologist who certainly has to kind of describe to patients, here's your vasectomy, here's what to expect. It's probably like <laughs> me describing mine to my husband, which I'm like, they don't even have to make an incision. They don't even have to use a scalpel. It's going to be so easy. And he's like, says you about my balls. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I don't know that we need to get into the science of all of the dosages of things and all of that stuff. I think most of us are concerned about what what should we be worrying about? I'm going to try to keep it like not medical termy um, because it gets confusing. Termy! See? <laughs> Kayla makes up words all the time. So when someone okay. else does, yeah. <laughs> this is like a hot topic for most women. And I feel like anesthesia is a black box. For me, I agonized about the epidural. Kayla, Jen, did you guys have fear about specific parts of the labor and delivery? Yeah. I mean, I guess... I didn't really, they say ignorance is bliss. So with my first C-section, I didn't really know what to expect. And I I have to be honest, I wasn't in labor with her. So it it wasn't bad for me. Like I wasn't kind of like writhing around on the table while also trying to be bent over so they could Mm -hmm. access my spine. With my second and third kids, I was in active labor with both of them when I got my spinal or epidural or whatever they actually call it. I, I don't even know that. And it was a lot harder to stay still. And, you know, also because in your head, you're, you're getting in your own head, right? And you're like, oh, one little move and they're going the wrong, you know, they're going the wrong direction. I will say with my last, I was really, I don't know, I was kind of scared to go into it because I felt like each time I had kind of gotten some weird medicine that had sort of messed with me and made me vomit on the table, like while I'm sliced open to the world, which is another like horrifying mental thing to overcome. Um, (laughs) So with my last baby, I told them, I said, just a heads up. I vomit every time when they get to this layer of my abdomen. So just prepare for that. So he gave me some medicine I felt it. But then as they started going, he overdosed me so much that I blacked out. And Ah. the video, yeah, the video my husband has from the OR shows me being like, I was crazy drugged. You were like, where's my baby? But yeah, it was like, I I was asking if she wanted to go out and party. I told her I had like a great drink. I was so drunk on drugs, but it was, it was in like, in hindsight, I could laugh about it, but I also, I missed my baby's first cries. I missed all those things. And so I have a lot of animosity towards that anesthesiologist at Chesapeake in Virginia, but. (laughs) (laughs) Understandable. Um, I can kind of explain some of that. So, um, you know, with an epidural, just kind of alleviating the fears of, oh my goodness, I'm so scared to move and this labor is really painful and oh, but they're going to put this thing in my back. I don't want it to hit my core, my spinal cord. Is that going to happen? Just to alleviate those worries when anesthesiologists place epidurals or even spinals in the OR, we actually go below the level of the spinal cord and we know where that is. So it's not a danger to the spinal cord when we place it. We know kind of how the contractions ebb and flow. And most of us, at least for me, when I place them, I, I wait until the contraction has subsided and I try to get it in while they're kind of in that period of uh, pain ish free. It's a denser anesthetic. Um, and so it's, it's a really nice surgical block. Um, and then once you kind of lay down and they start the C-section, actually when they mani- the surgeon manipulates the uterus, that's extremely nausea provoking. Um, and so a lot of women who wouldn't even ordinarily have a lot of nausea with other surgery will have a lot of more risk of nausea with a C-section. I usually try to warn women you know, there's a certain manipulation with the uterus when they're in the middle of the section that that is kind of a trigger for them. And I 
hey, you know, just a heads up, you might feel a little bit of pressure here. Let me know if you feel sick. And I do try to ward it off. But there are some nausea medicines that can make people feel very sleepy. Um, I'm sure that your doctor didn't intend for you to feel that way, but it's so hard for that to have happened. And, you know, we specifically try to have women be awake to meet their babies. Um, Another reason that nausea can happen in a C-section is the blood pressure can drop. So the anesthesiologist is also really watching for that. It's a big, little bit bigger of a risk with spinal anesthetics in a pregnant lady. Um, and we usually treat that ahead of time, but that can also be really nausea provoking. And we do treat that as well. Um, but we do try not to certainly give drugs that would cause people to forget their babies. But um, be vocal, be your own advocate, be empowered to speak up about what you want with your anesthesiologist before your C-section because we do care. We want to know what your feelings are and what experiences you've had in the past so we can prevent that. I honestly love hearing you say that because I, I always say you have to be your own, your own sole medical advocate in life. So just yeah. reminding moms all the time that they have a voice and they can tell yeah. people what they need. Even by my fourth kid, I thought I was being pretty vocal about what I needed and wanted and it still kind of went haywire. So over communicate, I guess that's a great lesson. <laughs> Well, and have your partner also advocate for you, you know, and it is overwhelming when you're not a medical person having any procedure. It can feel like you have your voice taken away from you because of the position you're put in. Um, I try to be mindful of that. I think a lot of anesthesiologists do, but please definitely speak up. Be like, I had this experience. It was a bad one. I want to be awake for my baby. Please don't over sedate me, but do keep in mind, I do have some nausea. That, those things are really important to your doctor. Kayla, you I remember you asking the question of when is it too late to get an epidural? Yeah, I was, I was in labor um, total because I was induced um, for a little around 36 hours. Oh, um, and I pushed for two hours. But by the time I was pushing, my epidural was pretty much worn off because um, they weren't keeping it consistent. I fell asleep and I woke up and all of a sudden I felt like I had to poop. Like I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, I need to bear down. And I was told that they couldn't like redose me at that point for an epidural. And so I had, I was just pretty much, I felt everything by the time I was, um, hold on. She wants the boob. I love it. That's awesome. So my first question is when is it too late to get a dose of an epidural? Like before you push, when is the last moment that you can make that decision? So okay. let's say you're a woman and you come in rather late in labor and you have no epidural whatsoever. When is the latest you can get an epidural? Um, a long time ago, it used to be thought that, you know, oh, well, now it's too late, you know, blah, blah, blah. But uh, the way I was trained and the way I practice is it's only too late if the baby is out. Is it common to be overdosed? And then th this is my theory that I came up with and I have no medical background on it. But my thought was maybe they overdosed me. And so they were waiting on that to like fade out. And then they waited too long and then I was ready to bear down. Like, I have, I have no idea. Is that possible? Yes. That's actually a very reasonable theory. How yeah. many times do you hear women come in for labor and say, I don't want an epidural. I don't want an epidural. I want to go all natural. And then push comes to shove, literally. And they're like, give me the drugs. All the time. All the time. <laughs> 
And I can actually tell you when the dilation is that they ask for that. So you often have um, someone who's never had a baby before that has this elaborate birth plan, just like I did for my first child. And they're like, I can do this. I can do this. Um, and then they get to about four to five centimeters. And that's really when the stage it transitions from um, kind of being a more latent stage of labor to a more active stage of labor. And then really those contractions start being more of that searing pain. Um, and that's when she calls us. That's predict pretty predictable. Pain relief for a woman is absolutely a, a, a reason to get a dose for your epidural. Um, and that's for many reasons too. If you deliver the baby and there is tearing that needs suturing or you have bleeding and there's a maybe potentially even a piece of the placenta left and the OB has to kind of reach in and grab it, having you comfortable with an epidural catheter in place is advantageous for both of those things. And also if your epidural is working and say the baby has some sort of shoulder dystocia and is having a hard time coming out and you have to go to C-section, having an appropriately dosed epidural catheter is also advantageous for that. So if you have a catheter in place, it should be dosed appropriately to give you pain relief. Now, the way that anesthesiologists dose epidurals is we want you to be covered for pain relief, but we want you to have that muscle grip. We want you to have, um, we don't want you to have lack of motor control. And if you've ever had an anesthesiologist come around with a bag of ice asking you, do you feel this? Is it, is it cold or is it not cold? That's us testing the level during your labor to make sure that's appropriate. I remember um, the ice that they were doing that like they were going all the way up and he got yeah. up to like my collarbone. I'm like, I don't feel anything. Yeah, I, I guarantee they doing that in the OR. They like prick you with like, they poke yeah. you with like the edge of a knife. Usually we have needles we draw drugs up with and usually we try to use uh, that very gently. Um, I try not to stab my patients. So I, I think that, Kayla, what happened to you is that they turned your epidural off because your level went so high. They were concerned about your breathing and you likely did get behind. Um, my so oxygen level did drop when they did that. And so. Yeah. And then unfortunately you fell behind and it was uh, perfectly timed. <laughs> okay. Corey, I know you had some stories on this. I'm, I'm curious about your take and your questions. I've had two scheduled C-sections for a bunch of reasons I won't go into. Um, but I was so nervous about the epidural. <laughs> During the placement of my first epidural, my doctor got out pictures to show me and they were x-rays of his son's broken arms. So I don't know if that was to minimize what was happening to me. But I remember as I'm trying to get distracted by my doctor's son's broken arms, I remember being at NYU, which is a teaching hospital, and there were a few yep. students around, and I'd been watching a lot of Grey's Anatomy. And oh, I my gosh. overheard some things like, uh, are we, is the resident doing it or where's the attending? I'm like, is the, can the attending, can that be, uh, do I have McDreamy or do I, who? <laughs> I, I can't remember. And so then I hear them going, okay, uh, I think we're going to go in blind. And I just remember going like, is there a not blind way? That we, <laughs> is there is there not blind? So the placement of an epidural is actually, um, it's something that you feel and it's, it's called a loss of resistance technique. We can't see inside a patient's back. So we kind of, we know exactly the layers that we're going through when we put the catheter in, um, in the epidural in the place. And so we know what it was called uh, the loss of resistance when we're in the epidural space. It's very safe. It is referred to as a blind technique. That's actually a pretty common term. Ultimately, I felt one little like zing while it was going in, but I wouldn't say it was painful. It just kind of made me jerk a little bit. Yep. Honestly, 
the worst part of both of my C-sections was my IV placement. The crazy thing to me was I barely felt the spinal block. I was told that the shot to to numb the area was going to be the worst part. And if only she had placed the IV. And I'm wondering <laughs> if you ever get called in to do that because the first time I got an IV placed, it, again, it was at NYU and my nurse got called away for an emergency C-section. And this young nurse who was shaking like a leaf came in. And from what I'm told, they don't practice this stuff until they're basically on the job. And yeah. <laughs> put an IV in my hand and blood started spurting everywhere so rather than trying to get it placed right she starts sticking tape over it so there's blood filling up under the tape and my gown was soaked and I turned white as a sheet finally another nurse pops her head in and I'm like I think we need some help okay so I'd had that bad experience cut to c-section number two I let them know ahead of time I've had issues with IVs before I had it in my hand I'd prefer it in my forearm you know and so I get stuck twice which means it moves on to the next nurse who gets a shot. Um, I get stuck two more times before finally the, the third nurse gets one in my hand. And I was black and blue up and down my arms. And then they were like, oh, well, the valves, it's the valves. And I'm no, like, no, uh, what? So <laughs> what's the deal with the IV placement? Because then I was like, if it's that hard to get an IV in, how do you how do I know I'm getting stuck in the right place in my back? So it terrifies I actually me. have some answers on that. So pregnant women are often very dehydrated. Even if you think that you're not, you are dehydrated. And I have two personal stories from this. So with my second baby and I was a resident in anesthesia at Duke and um, I, uh, I was uh, literally stuck probably two or three times by the nurse. Um, when they were trying to put the IV in and I literally looked at her and I was like, please call the anesthesia resident that is here today. She will do the next attempt. And it was my friend, Brittany, who came in and did a great job. We place IVs all the time. We're kind of experts at that as well, because intraoperatively, we're there to take care of the patient. I solve access issues. I put all kinds of lines in people. Um, and so then when I had my third baby, same deal. They blew two or three days. It hurts. And it really hurts. I was like, please call. There's a nurse anesthetist on somewhere. I know that in this base hospital because I was at the military hospital. She came in and put it in. But even as when I'm an anesthesiologist, I'm sometimes called because OB patients can be very challenging to get IVs in. And I use an ultrasound to visualize the vein and I will put them in that way. Okay, so what's it appropriate for me to request the next time around? Obviously, I need to make sure I'm hydrated, but yeah. what is it appropriate to just say, hey, this is what happened to me last time. Can you call in your Ivy Ninja? Is that a thing? That's totally appropriate. You can say this has happened multiple times. It's actually rather traumatic. Can you have the best nurse with IVs or can you just have the anesthesiologist that's on do the IV? I have placed okay. IVs pre-op for surgery. I have definitely used ultrasound. And does it usually just take you one stick? Uh, it depends on the patient and why they're like, what kind of you know, protoplasm I'm dealing with. So, you know, OB patients are, they come in different flavors, just like patients I take to the OR. I'm but. telling you what I got, like, you, <laughs> I don't know if you can see on here, but I'm like, if I can see my veins, I'm like, they're, it seems <laughs> like they should be real easy to hit, but I'm going to be like, I heard there was a thing and you can look at my veins through the light. They're going to be like this girl. Oh my God. I feel like I talked to my friend who's an anesthesiologist and she said you can use an ultrasound. So can you just do that? And I'll get yeah. angry. Yeah. Sure. I get <laughs> okay. my kids' arms every time they have to get IVs for anything. It's the coolest machine. 
It's what like, is it? You do what? Like an ultrasound like light, like a, a UV like ultrasound light. Is that? Oh yeah. So there is a light that actually shows the veins. Um, what I use when I place difficult IVs or other things like arterial lines or central lines is an ultrasound and it actually um, shows the vein inside the arm. And I'm able to go in with my catheter exactly into the vein. So it doesn't just show it on the surface, it actually shows the internal anatomy. So it's very precise. That's why I like it. I can go into larger, deeper veins that with one stick, usually with ultrasound. That is so good to know. Honestly, that piece of information alone is making me feel better about my C-section. Okay. Well, I have a question. Yes. It's kind of a silly question, but inquiring minds really want to know, not that I'm having a fifth child, but. (laughs) You're going to be pregnant by Christmas. (laughs) Why can't we eat? We're also hangry, right? And also, why do we have to pass gas after surgery before we can eat? So anesthesiologists don't want patients eating anything other than those clear fluids, which are that awful broth and you know, whatever else they give you to, t- I remember one day, one, one of my babies, I was like, I'm not drinking that broth. Let me tell you, by the end of the day, I was drinking the broth because I was hangry too. But when pregnant women have a higher risk of aspiration than anyone else, because one of the, um, hormones that keeps you, uh, pregnant, it's, it's called progesterone. It actually relaxes the lower esophageal sphincter and causes it to be Um, a little bit less adequate at preventing reflux from coming up. So it's so common for pregnant women to have acid reflux for that reason. And also you have a uterus and a baby that's pushing in on you and kind of making it easier for things to come up because you have a greater amount of pressure in your abdomen in general. Um, And so for those reasons, um, pregnant women are considered always to be a full belly for your anesthesiologist and at much higher risk for aspiration. If you had needed an emergency C-section and we had say an emergency happened and we needed to get you to the OR and get you to sleep immediately to get your baby out within seconds, which we can do, we do this. Um, we wanted to make sure that your risk of aspirating and being able to wake up and have no uh, maleffects from that general anesthetic that was sudden um, was as low as possible. You make us hangry for our own good. We do. <laughs> well, wait, but what about the toots afterward? Why do you have yeah. to toot? Uh, so I had, I didn't for like 12 hours. So finally the nurse was like, just eat. But the reason that some doctors in some locations may want to see that is when you've had a C-section, it's a little different than a vaginal birth, but a C-section is major surgery. Um, And women are not really given enough credit for how rough that is. And after major surgery, your bowels shut down. Um, And so a lot of times doctors will want to see what's called return of bowel function before you can eat. They just want to see that things are waking up and progressing normally and passing gas is the earliest sign of that. It is a major surgery, like how C-sections yeah. are. And I've always admired just, I don't know. I, you came to my birthday. I think it was three weeks after Bash was born. Was two. Two. And cause I was like, only you Kayla. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I remember you like just, looking kind of dreary and it didn't hit me until you said it's a mate like you said those words to me and it didn't hit me at all until actually after having Loxley and I didn't even have a c-section but just having an epidural itself I'm like 
oh, you are kind of down. And, and my body wasn't even sliced open. <laughs> it was yeah, paper shredded. But <laughs> intense. If I could have avoided it, I would have. And if I could have had a VBAC the second time, I would have. And by this third time, I'm kind of resigned to not worry about it. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of tooting, though, we did have a listener that we had listener listeners submit like stories. And one yeah, of them yeah. said that as soon as as soon as they made her numb, she just ripped one. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, we worry about pooping on the table. We don't really think about just being like in the stirrups. And I mean, it really yeah. it really takes your relationship to a whole new level, you know. Well, I, it is so humbling being it, in labor. Well, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, and it really puts you in the position where your modesty is your modesty is tossed out the window, whether it's vaginal or C-section delivery. I, I would like to reassure you and all your listeners that literally no one in the room cares. We would rather see the mom bear down effectively and deliver that baby vaginally the way that you know she obviously is desiring because that's what we're there for. No one cares. The anesthesiologist doesn't care. The OB doesn't care. We just want a successful, safe delivery and really any method whatsoever but if we're pushing let's do it well so that's a protected safe space i don't know that i actually believe this but people talk about it a lot can getting epidurals actually slow down your labor uh, it's a really interesting question because um, there is some literature showing that epi epidurals don't prolong the second stage as much as people used to think. That used to be widely accepted. Now it's less uh, conclusive. It so. makes sense. I was just curious because I've heard people yeah. say that, and I, I always thought it was kind of—I don't know. So I'm glad to get the—I'm glad to get the skinny on it. What is a walking yeah. epidural? So walking epidural is a dilute form of the numbing medicine that we put in epidurals so that women can still feel and move their legs. Um, it is really dicey on whether or not, not all hospitals, in other words, let women walk even with a dilute numbing medicine mixture. Um, it is some hospitals consider it a liability to have a woman with an epidural walk around because they're nervous that she would fall. Um, some hospitals are okay with it. Probably the more high volume centers that do a walking epidural more are going to be the ones that offer that to women than maybe the smaller community hospital. But it is a thing. And that's that's really the difference is you have full motor capabilities. I have a lot of a lot of friends that are very natural when it comes to their birth plans, which I think is amazing if you have yep. that luxury to have like zero worries. But I had a lot almost I felt kind of shamed for the fact that they said, oh, my gosh, I wouldn't want those drugs going to my baby. And they would make comments about like, well, of course, your baby slept so long. She had all those drugs in her, all those drugs in her. And it's all referring to the epidural. So how much of an epidural um, does affect your baby? Most epidurals do have a small amount of opioid. Um, usually it's, it's a drug called fentanyl, which is fine for pain control and short acting. You really don't want a long acting. Um, uh, so it's, it's not problematic, but it can make the baby just be a little bit more, um, slow to latch, slow to feed, but there's no overall, um, uh, detriment to the baby. Um, babies that have had epidurals, there's no studies that show harm to the baby or um, any kind of negative outcomes. Um, babies still will feed. They may be a little sleepier at first, but that's one of the reasons too, that once a woman delivers a baby and she's holding the baby ready to start breastfeeding, we turn off your epidural. Um, and that's because now the, the period of pain is, is 
well, it's not really over as we all know, but um, the delivery is over. And so now, you know, as you're feeding that baby, you don't have that continuous um, numbing medicine with any of that opioid. Now, patients that tear like I did for my first baby or have C-sections certainly can take um, narcotic medicines by mouth for pain control. And that's very appropriate. It's a very appropriate setting for that. Um, again, it might make baby a little bit sleepier, but it doesn't overall affect them in any kind of morbidity, mortality, or negative effects. They will breastfeed. They will do the baby things. It's fine to take those medicines in appropriate doses as prescribed by your doctor. One of the first things we do too, for a woman who has an emergency C-section and goes under general anesthesia is when they wake up in the, the recovery area, the first thing we do is hand them a baby and say, all right, do you want to breastfeed? Feel free. And that's because the drugs don't stay in the system long enough to affect the baby. It's safe to breastfeed. I think it's great that we've pointed out the fact that obviously the, the drug intervention is not for everyone. But for me personally, I mean, knowing that it's not going to adversely affect the baby long term at all, I wouldn't get a tooth pulled without Somebody giving me a shot first. I'm like, why would well, I? Why yeah. would I let something giant come out of my hoo ha? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're the drug there. I elected for epidurals with all three of mine. I I kind of have uh, experienced a lot of the common or you know maybe less common com- complications too, and it is a lot to go through childbirth. Having said that about myself and drugs, I honestly I'm like, oh my god, I have so much admiration for women who do it in a bathtub at home. So oh my gosh, yeah. I just had a girl um, in my hometown deliver a nine pound seven ounce baby Woo! in her bathtub in her living room. Oh my god, it's amazing. And I'm cool. like, go you. Wow. <laughs> Corey, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like, I certainly don't want anything coming out of my hoo-ha. I barely let anything go into my hoo-ha. So, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Maybe there won't be a fifth baby. <laughs> yeah, maybe I take that back. I think men should feel empowered to, to go for whatever birth they want. You know, if they want a natural birth, that's amazing. Go for it. Know that if you're um, in a hospital setting, you can change your mind and call the anesthesiologist. One of the things that we texted about privately really put my mind at ease. And that's, you know, there's so much for us to worry about and think about. But you kind of said something to me that made me feel like there was a lot that we could let go of as moms. And that is you told me that no matter what happens, and this was in regard to my freaky situation, that you guys always have a plan A, B, C, and D. That is absolutely true. Anesthesiologists are trained to handle critical events. We are planning and hoping with you that this goes absolutely according to your plan, that you have, you know, maybe A, the vaginal delivery you want with an epidural or or B, an uncomplicated C-section. But if something happens, we know how to treat those things. And we also are very quick to call a team to help. We have a plan for each of these emergencies and we're ready to enact them. We have a lot of listeners that are, you know, have, I need to pick her up. It's good. I locked my toddler out of my room. You're being a better mom than me. And while she's, while she's getting Loxley settled, can I ask you about, okay. Last time I saw Allison, thank God we did this trip right before COVID hit because she was on a trip for my sister's 40th birthday and she was pumping and she had a pump that just went in her bra. And she said that she would literally be in surgery with these things in her bra pumping. Okay. So what was that? And do I need it? Do you recommend it? Should I definitely get it? 
Okay, they're called the LVs, and and I, disclosure here, I'm not. I'm all shook up. Uh-huh. <laughs> LVs, if you hear me, you're welcome to pay me. I'm just kidding, but so it's I, worth the cost to not be attached to something. So okay. one thing I like about this pump is you kind of drop it inside your bra, and yes, your boobs look a little bit bigger, but you can literally. Oh, no, not a problem. The last thing I need. I see no problem here. Literally, you can reach inside, turn them on, pump while you're doing things, which is clutch for any working mom, whether you're an anesthesiologist running around the hospital or you're literally just trying to get to Target. And you can pump while you're doing things. And then when you're ready, take them out and then dump the milk into a bag and keep going. I really think it's worth it if you're a mom that's on the go and you want to pump. And so, yes, it is expensive, but some insurance companies are subsidizing it. I certainly recommend it, um, at least in uh, evaluating it, seeing if it's a fit for you. Kayla has been interacting with a bunch of our listeners. And I know uh, my inbox is completely filled up with crazy stories. Everything from I fell asleep and when I woke up, I had a baby to um, I was in and out of the hospital in two hours, even though one was a C-section and one was a natural birth. And I mean, I've heard there's so many funny stories, but Kayla has some, I think, polls that she took, which I think would be fun to share because we'll have to wrap up here soon because let's face it, we're moms and we have kids to pick up from school. But Kayla, what did our, what did our listeners say? So I think Kayla has a screaming six month old, which is totally to be expected. So I'm going to read these for her (laughs) from our socials. Did you plan to have an epidural or are you planning on having one? 81% of our listeners said yes, which is actually, I think higher than I anticipated. Um, Me too. Yeah. And 19% said no. We'll share um, some of the responses that we had on socials for our listeners that did respond and had some questions. Um, You... (laughs) It's okay. It's just real life. And so why don't we do this? Um, Anybody who has a question, message us at hi, my name is mom official. And we'll reach out to Allison and have her answer. And we'll share the questions and answers totally anonymously. Mostly, I want to thank you, Allison, because I think the big takeaways here are we don't have to be scared because you've done the work for us. Thank you for sharing this information and also just doing what you do, because otherwise, without people like you, um, birth would (laughs) suck. (laughs) <laughs> a lot hey, more. And I'm not going to lie. We get a lot more accolades sometimes than the OBs. You know, we'll put the epidural in and they'll they'll be like, oh, my God, our anesthesiologist and the OBs like, what am I? Child? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Um, yeah, well, awesome. you guys make sure you follow us at Hi, My Name is Mom Official for all of those responses. Uh, and, and there's one other thing as that I'm going to leave you with. Allison told me that this is completely unrelated to anesthesiology, but she told me she has studies that are very encouraging in terms of alcohol use and breastfeeding. <laughs> I do. And for all of us wine-loving moms, Allison, what is that good news? Uh, so I'm actually in a doctor-only um, breastfeeding group, and really there's a great catchphrase, and I, I did use this when we were in Napa. Um, if you can find the baby, you can feed the baby. There's a lot of studies that show that very little amounts of alcohol is actually transmitted to the baby. Um, and these are from doctors that are smarter than me that practice actually a real field. It's called breastfeeding medicine. Um, so uh, I'm not saying go out and get drunk, but choose uh, choose to use alcohol responsibly. I think women are plagued with enough judgment um, and really 
really that catchphrase means if you can safely protect and hold your baby and you're not drunk enough to like roll over on them or be irresponsible as a mom and you can you can then enjoy alcohol responsibly and have a little less stress in your life about what transmits to breast milk. Um, and certainly if you have questions about that, you can always contact a physician that's in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine and ask questions, or you can get in touch with me and I'll try to find um, and connect you with a, a physician that is associated with our group. It's called Dr. Milk. Um, and it, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. It's full of some amazing physicians. And um, they're, like I said, way smarter on this subject than I am. I say, uh, this is like the best news that could come out of this episode. I know best Kayla news I ever. Allison, we can't even hear you talking anymore. All we heard All we is, is we can drink while we nurse. Okay, so well, this makes me really excited. I am doing a scientific research next week <laughs> with Jen. Um, it's very scientific, very official. Oh, very controlled. Very controlled setting. I cannot wait to share this video with everybody, but Jen and I are going to um, drink alcohol and use the breast milk detector ah. strips, and we're going to see how much we can drink before it's in our milk. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, this is not going to be submitted. It's not going to be submitted to any scientific journals. I'm pretty sure this is going to be them hilariously and drunkly squirting milk onto strips. I yeah. think that's, well, oh, I was going to pump it, but I like squirting it. <laughs> oh, at the same time, you could do a distance contest. Yes. It's like breast, breast Olympics. We will make a disclaimer that this is not backed by any physicians. <laughs> I'm also super excited about next week because our friend, Diana Papastagliano, is returning. And we're going to dive into not only her motherhood journey, but we're going to talk about The Bachelorette. Because why wouldn't we? It's kind of a momentous season, isn't it? I mean, That's I'm only right. catching it. Yeah, I got to catch up a little bit. So everybody, make sure you listen next week. That's going to be a ton of fun. If you guys have any ideas for future episodes or funny mom fashions you want to share, please hit us up on our socials at Hi, My Name is Mom Official and Facebook.com slash Hi, My Name is Mom. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Allison. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Your name is Mom.